You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to break down even more of what we saw this past weekend, kind of look ahead to the Sweet 16, the conference affiliation breakdown. I want to talk about Drew Timmy from Gonzaga a little bit. We're also going to talk about how the one seeds did, where we're at with that, and break down a few more of the upsets that happened over the weekend, go over some statistics and information in regards to gambling and or just regular brackets that you may have in your local pools that you're in. So we will get to that momentarily. All right, I want to start off with this. And here is something that I've that I found interesting this past weekend when looking over everything that happened in the tournament. One thing that really stuck out to me, and I don't hear many people talking about this, is teams that really kind of rolled through their conference tournament didn't even make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Big Ten, Purdue absolutely steamrolled through the regular season. They won the Big Ten regular season by four games over the second-place team. They rolled through the Big Ten tournament, and they lose their first game in the NCAA tournament. The Pac-12, Arizona, finished second in the regular season, won the Pac-12 conference tournament. They're out in the first round, losing to, who did they lose to, Princeton? Yeah, right? Yeah, Arizona lost to Princeton. They didn't make it to the Sweet 16. In the Big East, Marquette. I think they finished first or second in the regular season, but they were conference tournament champions. What happened to them? They didn't make it to the second weekend. They couldn't win two games. The, um, let's see. ACC. Who won the ACC? Duke. They couldn't make it to the second weekend. So you look at this and you're like, wow. And I'm sure you did have some conference tournament winners that are still alive. Alabama won the SEC conference tournament. They won their first two games rather handily. In the Big 12, Texas won the Big 12 conference tournament. They won both of their games. They're headed to the Sweet 16. And the ACC, well, I already mentioned the ACC was Duke. Trying to think of the power conferences and where we're at. But I mean, you've got your big east, your big east winner is out. Your Big Ten winner is out. AAC. Memphis beats Houston. They win the AAC. They lost their first game in the tournament. So what does it mean? Does it mean that, hey, you shouldn't try as hard in the conference tournament? Because, look, you can say it gasses teams because you have to play three games in three days. Some of them you only have to win two, like in the WCC. The top two teams, Gonzaga and St. Mary's, only had to play two games. And Gonzaga is still in it. St. Mary's isn't. Gonzaga won the WCC, still in the tournament. But most of the other ones you have to win at least three games. And... We've seen examples in the past where teams that really ran roughshod in their conference tournament have done well once the NCAA tournament starts. And clearly there's four examples already this season, Big East, 
ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten, and the AAC, where those conference tournament winners couldn't even win two games in the NCAA tournament. So I just think it's something to keep an eye on. And overall, I think the number was of 32 conference tournament champions, only 15 ended up winning their conference tournament. The 32 regular season winners, only 15 of them, one seeds, ended up getting to the NCAA tournament by winning the conference championship tournament. So I think it's hit or miss. I think you just got to keep that in mind that no matter how good they look in their conference tournament, it might be a, I don't know, something to look at because there's something to be said for winning three games in three days and then having to come back on Thursday, four days later, to start another tournament. And it just doesn't equal success is what I'm saying. Because they look good in their conference tournament, we had four of them in the big guys, the big tournaments, the big conferences. I couldn't even win two games in the NCAA tournament. Three of those four were out in the first round. So when you look at it, Arizona, Purdue, and Memphis, Duke was the only one that won a game. And then they lost to Tennessee. So... Something to keep in mind for future seasons, for sure. You know what I like about this Sweet 16 this year? And look, I'm not this guy that hates the Blue Bloods and hates the fact that, oh, we got to see these big teams in it. I'm all for new blood. But the fact that we have a Sweet 16 that has none of the major Blue Bloods in it, there's no Kansas, there's no Duke, there's no North Carolina, and there's no Kentucky in the Sweet 16. I think that's kind of cool. Not saying if they were in it, I'd be like, ugh, why are they there? But I kind of like seeing new blood in this, you know? It's cool that Princeton is in the Sweet 16. Now, the crazy thing is, remember what I told you before the con- before the tournament started? I said a double-digit seed has made the Sweet 16 every year since 2008. So definitely put a double-digit seed in your brackets. However, this year, only one made it, and that was Princeton, a 15 seed. If you would have told me before the tournament only one was going to make it, I would have thought it would have been, you know, a 10, 11, a 12 seed. Nobody would have guessed Princeton, of all teams, was going to be the only double-digit seed to make the Sweet 16. And if you look at the breakdown of the Sweet 16 going by brackets, the South and the East were the ones that were all jacked up. The Midwest and the West almost held the form. It was only one game that threw them off. In the Midwest, you've got the one seed, the two seed, and the three seed still alive, which is Houston's the one, Texas is the two, Xavier's the three, and then the five seed. The five beat the four when Miami beat Indiana. So that wasn't a huge upset, five beating four. Miami was even favored in that game. In the West, you have the two, three, and four. When you get to the Sweet 16 – Holding to form means the one, two, three, and four seeds got there. As I just read, Midwest is one, two, three, five. The seeds in the West are two, three, four, and eight because Arkansas beat Kansas. The eight beat the one. But everything else held to form. UCLA is the two. Gonzaga is the three. UConn is the four. So there wasn't much that was off in the Midwest and the West regions. Where you get wonky is what happened in the South and the East. The South has the one seed in there. Bama, but then you've got San Diego State as the five, 
Creighton as the six and Princeton as the 15. Then you've got the one, five, six, and 15 in the south. And then in the east, that became the wonkiest bracket. You don't even have the one in there. You don't even have the two in there. You've got three, four, seven, and nine. The three being Kansas State. They play the seven seed Michigan State. The four seed Tennessee playing the ninth seed FAU. So I keep track of this stuff. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But I like seeing it. It is kind of like if you had a tournament where it was just like, okay, one, two, three, five, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, you know, two, three, four, eight was the only upset. You'd be like, okay, seems like the everything held to form. I kind of like when there's a little chaos in my brackets. The Midwest and the West pretty much held the form. Only one or two upsets in each one. But the South and the East is where it got wonky. I mean, one of these teams is making the Final Four. Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Kansas State, or Michigan State. I can't tell you the last time. I don't, I'm pretty sure off the top of my head, FAU has never made the Final Four. Uh, Tennessee, maybe they did back in the day when Allen Houston was on them, their team, but I, I don't know if and when Tennessee has ever made the Final Four. I don't. I think Kansas State made it at some point, but it was probably years ago. Michigan State, we know, has made a ton of Final Fours, but it's been a few years because we know Tom Izzo has you know racked up numerous Final Four appearances, so they wouldn't be surprising. I would say this year's version of Michigan State would be surprising to make the Final Four because this is not easily one of Tom Izzo's best probably 10 teams that he's ever coached. But, yeah, it is pretty crazy to think. FAU, Tennessee, Kansas State, or Michigan State, one of them is going to the Final Four. And right now, I'd say Tennessee is the favorite, even though they're the four seed and Kansas State is the three seed. Uh, it just it, you're almost flipping a coin on both of those games. We we just really have no idea who's going to come out on top. But I do like uh, I do like a little chaos in my brackets, and I like some stability. If one if one bracket was stable, I was like okay, and then three were kind of wonky, I'd be fine with that as well too. The one game I'm absolutely stoked for is Thursday night. It's the last game of the night, Gonzaga-UCLA. Growing up on the West Coast and being a WCC alumni, having gone to Loyola Marymount, and just loving the fact that Gonzaga now has eight straight Sweet 16 appearances, which is the fourth longest run in NCAA history. I think Duke, uh, North Carolina, and one other school uh, is are the only th- three that have ever done that eight straight Sweet 16 appearances. This stat came out about Drew Timmy that I thought was very interesting. And you probably saw it when they were playing TCU. They put it on the screen. Only one, two, three, four, only six players in NCAA history have scored 20 points in an NCAA game nine times. Drew Timmy became the seventh guy to do that this past Sunday against TCU. So 20 points in nine different NCAA tournament games. It's only been done by six other guys. Drew Timmy became number seven on Sunday night against TCU. The only six guys to do it before him, Bill Bradley for Princeton, Rip Hamilton from UConn, Elvin Hayes from Houston, Danny Manning from Kansas, Glenn Rice from Michigan, and Corliss Williamson from Arkansas. Off the top of my head, I think Rip Hamilton was probably the latest or most recent to do it. 
because all the other five before, I definitely think I graduated before he did. I could be wrong. Maybe Corliss Williamson graduated. No. Rip Hamilton graduated after Corliss Williamson, I think. Danny Manning graduated in 1988. Glenn Rice was in the 90s. Rip Hamilton, I think, was late 90s. And Corliss Williamson was mid-90s or early 90s. Yeah, it had to be early 90s because Arkansas played those UNLV teams. I don't know. Uh, Corliss Williamson played on the team that lost to UCLA in the national championship, and that was like 95. Yeah, so I think Rip Hamilton is the, the most recent. But it brings this up. If Drew Timmy scores 20 points against UCLA, minimum of 20 points against UCLA on Thursday, he will be the first player in NCAA history to score 20 points in an NCAA tournament game 10 times. And I think a lot of that obviously speaks on the fact that, you know, you're like Drew Timmy, the only person in the history of the NCAA tournament to do it. You'll be like, yeah, but you got to remember we're in a day and age now where the greatest players in college basketball stay one year. You, you, you can't get to nine or ten times scoring 20 points a game when you only play one year in the in the NCAA. So while it is a statistic and it is impressive for Drew Timmy, it's also a little bit, the number is a little bit skewed and a little bit flawed because of the fact that, hey, Drew Timmy stuck around for four years. And the only people sticking around for four years are guys that aren't one and dunners and superstars that are going straight to the NBA. So all the credit in the world to Drew Timmy, he probably will score 20 points this Thursday and hold the record all by himself. And it might be a record that never gets broken. Because if you're good enough to score that many points in an NCAA tournament game, you're probably going pro early. Probably not staying four years in college. And that means you would have to at least average two games in the tournament for all four years you're there. And who's doing that without being on a great team and then wanting to leave early anyway? So, look, I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from Drew Timmy, but I'm just keeping that in mind. It's like, yes, it's more of a longevity thing than anything else because clearly Drew Timmy is not the greatest player who's ever played college basketball. However, if you were to put together an all-WCC team in the history of the WCC, five players, the best five players to ever play, take away what possibly could happen in the NBA with them and take away future NBA potential, if you just said who are the best five players by position in WCC history, I think Drew Timmy is probably the in that five. You know, off the top of my head, you know, not, not to be biased, but uh, I think Hanker Bow has got to be part of that five. Steve Nash is your point guard. Drew Timmy is a forward. Bill Russell is your center, without a doubt. He went to the University of San Francisco. So my five would be Steve Nash, Drew Timmy, Bill Russell. Hank or Bo, and maybe Adam Morrison. Just hey, I'm just going by college career. Adam Morrison, what you, you never panned out in the pros. You got to remember how great of a college player he was. And I could be look. I, I there's been 50 years of teams in WCC basketball. I, I could be missing somebody. I'm just going off the top of my head, but I'd say those are those are guys you got to look at. So, just a thought. Impressive statistic by Drew, by Drew Timmy, no doubt. But I am so looking forward to Thursday night's game because if you look at the last two times UCLA and Gonzaga played in the NCAA tournament, two classics, 
Remember what happened during the COVID year, 2021, in the semifinals, in the Final Four game, UCLA versus Gonzaga? Johnny Juzang ties it up with 10 seconds left, and undefeated Gonzaga comes down the court, and Jalen Suggs hits a half-court shot at the buzzer to send them to the title game? That was UCLA-Gonzaga three years ago, an all-time classic. Now it's a little bit watered down because we didn't have the full crowd there. Remember, they only allowed like I think fifteen thousand in the arena, so it kind of got silenced. And it, you know, but remember, he hits the half-court shot, jumps on the scores table. That was UCLA Gonzaga. But to me, a guy who grew up in Southern California and who was definitely in the college basketball scene. I don't remember what year it was, but do we all remember the Adam Morrison crying game when they are up by seventeen in the second half, or fifteen or seventeen against UCLA in the second half? I believe the game was played in Sacramento, and UCLA had an unbelievable comeback. And they won at the buzzer when Gonzaga had to throw a length of the court pass and forget his first name, but his last name is Batista, missed a turnaround at the buzzer. And Gonzaga blows a huge lead with a chance to go to the Final Four. And Adam Morrison is crying on the court. I mean, it's an all-time, unfortunately for him, meme that has always circulated in college basketball of him sitting on the ground and pulling his jersey over his face as he's crying after a loss to UCLA. But uh, to close out one of the best careers ever in the history of college basketball. But that is an UCLA-Gonzaga all-time classic that I think of actually first before I think of Jalen Suggs' half-court shot because while it did happen and it kept them at 30-0 and for the season and kept them undefeated, it was also during that COVID year where it's just like I think a lot of people forgot about that season that Gonzaga was literally going to be the second team in the history of college basketball to go undefeated the whole season. And then Baylor blew them out in the championship game. So keep that in mind. But that's a great statistic. You know, props to uh, Drew Timmy for doing that. And he probably will get the record on Thursday. So what's our conference breakdown look like coming into this Sweet 16? Well, bad news for the Big Ten. Remember at the beginning of this, we, we told you how many teams they're putting in and how many teams made the Sweet 16. Big Ten put in eight teams that tied for the most this year in the, in the tournament. And you know how many have made the Sweet 16? One. One out of eight, and it's the seventh-seeded Michigan State Spartans. Not a good tournament for the Big Ten. Not a good showing for them yet again on the big stage. And I think you just got to keep that in mind going in future seasons. For whatever reason, the Big Ten just does not fare well in the tournament and hasn't the last couple of years. But you look at the breakdown of everything going into the Sweet 16 – there are, let's see, conference breakdown goes like this. The SEC put eight teams in the Sweet 16, or excuse me, eight teams in the tournament. Three of them got to the Sweet 16 in Bama, Texas, and Arkansas. The Big East had the best tournament showing. They only they put five teams into the tournament, and three of them have reached the Sweet 16 with Creighton, Xavier, and UConn. And the Big 12 put seven teams in, and two got into the Sweet 16 with Kansas State and Texas. So that's half of your Sweet 16. Every other conference put one in. Big 10, or not put one in, got got one into the Sweet 16. Big 10 had eight teams. Eight teams make the tournament. One of them got to the Sweet 16. And last year, if you look at the numbers, the Big 10 put nine teams in, and two of them got to the Sweet 16. So it's just proof that you kind of got to keep your eye on the Big Ten. That's two years in a row now where they've absolutely flopped in the tournament. Last year, nine teams get in, 
Two of them could win two games and get to Sweet 16. This year, eight teams went in from the Big Ten, and one of them could win two games. And that was a seventh seed in Michigan State. So your conference breakdown, SEC got three teams in, Big East got three teams in, and the Big 12 got two teams in. So that's eight of your Sweet 16, and then eight conferences got one team in. Mountain West got San Diego State. Big 10, like I said, got Michigan State. The AAC put got Houston there. Pac-12, UCLA is their representative. The WCC has the Zags. The Ivy League has Princeton. Conference USA has FAU. And the ACC has Miami. And that's it. So three conferences put multiple teams in. Eight conferences put one team in each. I think it's great. I'm fine with it. Now, if you have an Arkansas FAU final, I don't know if that's going to really draw a lot of ratings, but it is something to look at. And it is something to keep in mind that just because a conference puts a ton of teams in does not mean they're going to have a ton of success. I just read you those Big Ten numbers. That's awful. Two years in a row. You add it up. 17 teams made the tournament from the Big Ten the last two years, and only three of them could make it to the Sweet 16. That's kind of embarrassing. All you got to do is win two games. And we know for only the second time in history, a 16 beat a one, and that one happened to be Purdue, a Big Ten team. Just not a good showing for the Big Ten this year. Anyway, we'll break it down further, even more so tomorrow. And we've got some other things to go over. We'll look ahead at the Sweet 16 matchups because we haven't really done that yet. Um, Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. You don't know how much I appreciate it. And please pass along this to your friends who like college basketball, like following it as much as I do. You can tell I have a passion for college basketball. I love talking about it. I feel empty that we're only a couple weeks away now from not talking about it for another nine months. Because let's face it, we really don't talk college basketball until the Super Bowl happens. I've only been talking about it for maybe the last month. But it's the best time of year for me. I hope it is for you. I love it. And I can't wait to watch these Sweet 16 games play out. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See ya!